All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, we are beginning a new series uh, through the parables of Jesus. Uh, through the parables of Jesus, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I'll, I'll refer to some of the other places that this particular parable shows up as well throughout the, the message today, but uh, this is going to be our main text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 uh, is where we will be at this morning. And we're going to be looking at the parable of salt and light. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, so next week, let me just tell you what we're going to do. Next week, uh, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, and we're going to make that a monthly thing. So the first Sunday of every month, we will be taking the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we still have some of those you know, all-encompassing Lord's Supper packets uh, that we did, did a while back. And we'll put those out on the table next week. Um, if you would grab one of those when you come in, and then when we get to the time of the service where we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper, you will have that already, the juice and the cracker already together. And you just rip the top of it, and, and we'll take that together. And so that being said, I will, I will, I will starting this series this week, because this is kind of where things fell, but next week, I'll jump out of the series, and I'm going to preach on the Lord's Supper, and then we'll jump back into the parables of Jesus after that. So be prepared for that. Be preparing your hearts this week, and we'll talk a lot more about what that looks like next week as well during the message, but be prepared for that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will dive into this week's message. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord, to open up your word and to learn from it, God. To learn from the lips of Jesus here this morning. Not that all of your word is not your word, but today as we begin to, to focus on what Jesus has to say, what he said to those whom he ministered, what he says to us today, God, help us, Lord, to take these, this teaching, to apply it to our life personally, and to apply it to the life of this church. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I already alluded to, as we round out the summer, we are going to explore some of the parables of Jesus. And we're not going to have uh, the opportunity to look at all of the parables of Jesus this summer. And that's okay, because the idea is that throughout the summers, uh, we, will, we will focus in on the parables of Jesus. And so it may take us several summers to get through all of the parables, and that's, that's what we're going to do. So during the summertime, we'll focus on the parables of Jesus. We'll jump out of whatever series we're in, and we'll begin to do that. And parables, you know, parables are really meant to shake us up. Parables are meant to awaken us from a slumber that we might be in. And we, we need that from time to time, right? We need to be shaken up. We need to get out of our comfort zone and be challenged. Sometimes we can just get in a, a habit of going through the motions. And when that happens, we need something to come in and just to, to jolt us. And, and none of us are really immune to that at all. We, we all need that from time to time. And, and churches need that from time to time. And that's not just me saying that. I mean, Jesus himself, when we turn to the book of Revelation, we looked at these not too long ago, the, the seven churches of Revelation. Jesus writes these letters to these particular churches in order to awaken them from the slumber that they were in. And that's what I'm hoping that this 
this series will do for us as well. That, that is, it'll, it'll shake us up as it reveals the kingdom of God to us in greater detail. I'm hoping that it will reignite a passion to serve the Lord, to, to live according to this kingdom ethic so that we are different than the culture. And as we get into the parables, we need to know, well, well what is a parable? You know, what is a parable? Well, a parable is simply just a story. It's, it's a story that is grounded in everyday activities, everyday events. But, but it has this deeper reality that, that goes beyond the everyday, that, that makes up that particular story. It's meant to, to challenge, it's meant to, to teach the here at points uh, and point to life in the kingdom of God. And so it tells us how we are to live, but it, but it tells you how you are to live with this memorable story that is applied to everyday life. And if you've read through the parables at all, if you've, if you've done a Bible reading program, if you've read through the Gospels, you've come across the parables of Jesus, and, and you may read those parables, and you may come away from some of those parables, and you're like, what is Jesus talking about here? Like, I get the everyday story, I see kind of what's happening there, but, but how does this apply? How does this apply to me? Now, you're not the first person to ask that question. You know, why did Jesus speak in parables? His disciples ask him this question. In Mark chapter 4, his disciples come to him in verse 10 and ask Jesus, well, why are you speaking in parables? These stories are not always easy to translate. They're not always easy to apply. And so why even use parables? Well, Jesus provides us an answer. And so I have the text here for you, Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now hearing Jesus speak in that way might be a bit surprising, but, but these are Jesus' words. And Jesus reveals to us that his parables are a tool of redemption, while at the same time, they're an instrument of judgment. They reveal the kingdom to some while they conceal it from others. This leads one commentator to say this, Though Jesus came as Redeemer, He also came as Judge. The judgment He brings is the supreme crisis for the world. To those who have ears to hear, His words are life. To those who are deaf to the things of God, His words are death. And then he continues and he says, When the people refuse to see the glory God reveals of himself, the response is to make them blind. When, when people refuse to hear the word of God, God makes them deaf. And so Jesus speaks in parables to reveal, yet at the same time to conceal, to, to, to give light, yet at the same time to bring judgment. Now, this is not the first time that God has used a prophet to, to reveal and conceal his speech through, through the speech of that prophet. Excuse me. Isaiah was used in this way to reveal and to conceal. Jesus is highly aware that Isaiah was used in this way. When Jesus tells them in Mark chapter 4 why he speaks in this way, he, he takes a portion of Isaiah chapter 6 and quotes it in Mark chapter 4. 
You see, Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's commissioning by the Lord to go and to preach to the nation of Israel. Being commissioned by the Lord, Isaiah is thinking, man, my ministry, it's going to be great. I'm going to see these people come to come back to faith in the Lord. I'm going to see them being used as a light to the nations. I'm going to see them being holy once again. My ministry is going to be awesome. And that is until the Lord comes and and at, at this commissioning, he reveals his, his purpose for preaching. Isaiah chapter 6 says this, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, well, How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far and away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Isaiah might have thought that his ministry was going to be one of redemption when he had his vision in the Lord's throne room, but that was not the case. His ministry was to be one of judgment. The Lord tells him what is going to happen before it even happens and why is that? Well, it's because the people had hardened their heart towards the Lord. The nation of Israel, they they did not live as those who were separated unto the Lord, as those who were holy, as, as lights to the nation to draw people in. And so God sends Isaiah with this message. They were not salt and light as we are called to be. And so the same has taken place in, in Jesus' day. The religious leaders, they, they've hardened their heart to the things of God, which is why Jesus chose to speak in parable as a means of judgment. Only those who are open to God's correction and are truly repentant will hear, understand, and apply Jesus' parable. And so Jesus speaks in parables to reveal and to conceal, to bring light, yet at the same time to bring judgment. He speaks in parables to shake us up a little bit to push us out of our comfort zone. The parable that we're going to explore first, it's a simple parable, but it's a challenging parable. It's the parable of salt and light. And so hopefully you found your place. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says this to us, to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus reveals to his disciples, those who would, who would claim to be followers of Jesus, those who would take on the name of Christian, that we are to be two things. Jesus' disciples are to be the salt of the earth, and Jesus' disciples are to be the light of the world. And we're going to look at those two characteristics one at a time. And these two characteristics should, should set us apart so that we live as God's kingdom people. And so Jesus' disciples are the salt of the earth. As, as Christians, we are to act and we are to live as salt of the earth people. And you've probably heard that phrase before. I mean, that person is just a, just a salt of the earth person. But what does that mean? What, what is so special about salt? 
Well, when refrigeration is not available, keep things from spoiling, keep things from deteriorating, salt is used. Salt is also used as a, as a flavoring agent, right? You guys have probably all gone to a restaurant or maybe at home and you're first learning how to cook or something like that, uh, and, and you forget to salt something. And then you, you take a big old bite of it thinking it's going to be amazing, it's going to be great, and you're like, oh, man, this thing is so bland. You can't eat the rest of it. You've got to get out the salt shaker, and you put some salt on there, and it's good to go. You can enjoy that meal like you were supposed to enjoy it. Salt makes all the difference. It's used as a flavoring agent. And what Jesus is getting at then is that Christians should be a moral influence on society that keeps society from deteriorating. Our lives should be so flavored with Jesus that we provide an alternative to the moral corruption that takes place around us. That means that we have to conduct ourselves, we have to conduct our business, we have to conduct our, our family, we have to speak and act in a manner that is much, much different than the world. We can't be on social media, you know, spewing all kind of hate just like other people are doing, right? We shouldn't be known as people who have keyboard courage, you know, people who will, who will say anything, you know, behind their phone screen or sitting at home behind their keyboard. It doesn't matter how it affects that person or anything like that. It's just, I want to say this, I want to get this off of my chest, and you put it out there and you never forget about it again. But if you saw that person face to face, you would never say that to them. We shouldn't be known like that. Our Instagram feeds, our, our TikToks, they, they should not look the same as the world either, right? The pictures we take, the, the way that we portray ourselves on social media should be different than the world. When it comes to relationships, we shouldn't mimic those of our society either, right? We should not be involved in hookup culture. Nor should we participate in sexual immorality. We, we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. We shouldn't live with those that we aren't married to. And I'll even go as far as to say is we should not date those we have no intention of marrying, nor should we date people for years and years and years and years without ever making a commitment to that person. And you know, if you're in high school, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't date. And say, well, what I'm saying is that you should not enter into a relationship with somebody with the mentality of only taking from that person and never giving. Relationships are meant to reflect the gospel. Christ gave of Himself fully and, and completely for others, or for, for others' benefit. We must enter into a relationship with that same mentality that we're going to give instead of take, which is a different way from the which in, way, in which the world sees relationships, right? For the world, relationships are all about what can I get from those relationships? What can I take from that? And, and when you have gotten all that you can get, well, then you just don't need that person anymore. But that's not how we should look at relationships. We are to be salty people, and we can't have that particular mentality. We have to be willing to give instead of take. We must view relationships in that way. That doesn't mean that every relationship that you enter into is going to lead to marriage, but we shouldn't enter into a relationship with the mentality that we don't want to be married. We're not just seeing what we can get out of this relationship. Rather, we must be willing to give of ourselves and to give of ourselves fully and completely. And so not every relationship is going to end in marriage, but we should certainly be driving towards that. We should be seeking someone as a partner in life. God has, has not made us to exist alone. Instead, God has made us to reflect Christ and the church 
as a witness to the world of the gospel. And so, if you're in a relationship right now and you're not married, or even if you are married and you're in a relationship right now, is your relationship a witness to the gospel? Is it self-giving? Is it self-sacrificial? Is your relationship holy and pure? Are you living different than the world or are you allowing the world to influence the way that you participate in your relationships with the opposite sex? As we continue how we should be different when it comes to our family men, we, we cannot be passive. When we cannot allow our kids to do whatever they want, to dictate how our family works, it is our job to lovingly teach and to guide them according to God's Word. To teach them His way and His will for their lives. In our business, in our work, we, we must be different than the world as well. We should not see others as just pawns in a plan that we have to succeed or to, to move up the corporate ladder. We, we shouldn't be on power trips treating other people in a way that we don't want to be treated. Instead, we should treat them in the way that we would like to be treated. Nor should we treat our clients as just a means to an end. We should be servants. We should do what is right for those who work with us and for us. We should be honest in all of our business dealings. In these ways and more, we can influence those around us. We can provide an alternative to the corrupt world in which we live. And that's how we should operate as believers. We as believers should be salt of the earth. We should live as such because we've been changed by Jesus. You see, as Christians, our will, our wants, our desires, all of that, our hearts, this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about our heart, those things should change as a believer. And they should continue to change as we grow to be more and more like Christ as we follow Him. And so, because of that, we can live different than the world. It's not about us just like powering through it and saying, you know what, I'm not going not to have a relationship like the world has. I'm not going to watch the thing that the world has. I'm not going to treat other people in the way that the world treats them. I'm going to operate my business differently. And we just power through that. No, that's not going to work. That's not going to last. It may last for a little bit, but eventually that's going to come to an end. If we truly want to be people who live as salt of the earth people for years and years and years and years, until Jesus takes us home or He comes back. We have to be people who are truly Christian, who, who, who have truly been changed by Christ. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it in our own power. We have to believe in the gospel. And as we believe in the gospel, we will be changed. That is the only way that this change is going to take place. But just because Jesus changes us doesn't mean that we cannot be influenced by the world. We, we still live in this flesh and blood body. And if you've read through Scripture, if you've even just began a Scripture reading through the, a year through the Bible program, back in Genesis chapter 3, you've read the account of the fall. You've read how Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. You've read how that polluted themselves and the world, and, and we are corrupted because of sin. We still have this flesh that we inhabit, even though our heart may have been changed. And ultimately, we know that, that Jesus is going to win the war. He is going to change us when He returns, but there are daily battles that take place each and every single day. And we can lose those daily battles. And part of living as those who are salt of the earth is to recognize that we can be influenced 
by society in such a way as to lose our saltiness. Look at the text again in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, he says. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Luke adds a bit more in Luke chapter 14, verse 35. It is of no use for either use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, how can salt lose its saltiness, right? We think of salt as this stable compound. You know, we, we purchase salt at, at the store in bulk. We put it in our, in our cupboards. We, we take it out when we need to use it, and it can be there for years and years and years and years, and it just remains, remains salty. Well, how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, back in Jesus' day, salt wasn't made in the same exact way that it is made today, right? In order to get salt, you had to go out to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea was just this uninhabitable Place. And what people would do is they would go out to the Dead Sea and they would, they would collect the water, they would allow the water to evaporate, and the first crystals to form in the evaporation process would be pure salt. You would have to collect that salt, and then you could use that. But, but if you didn't collect that salt at the right time, if you, if you, if you just allowed the water to evaporate and, and brought all that in and you started using it, it would be salty. But whenever it encountered moisture some of those other impurities would begin to leach out into the salt, and it would, it would affect it. It would render that salt useless. And in much the same way, if Christians do not separate from the world, if we don't develop a Christian worldview, if we don't run everything through that grid, we will be affected by the world's ideas and the world's way of doing things, which will cause us to lose our saltiness. When it comes to things that you hear on television that you're taught in work training, that, that you read in a magazine or a blog post or you see on Facebook or YouTube, all of these things have the potential to influence us in a way that is contrary to God's kingdom, which means that we must understand God's word so that we can run everything that we hear, everything that we see through God's word. Just because someone says that they're a Christian or they're, they're teaching sounds Christian, it has some Christian principles sprinkled in there and thrown in there, it doesn't mean that we should take what they say as Christian teaching. We must be on guard in every single area of our lives. Not only that, but, but we must not participate in those things that non-Christian brothers and sisters participate in. That's not to say that we should not have non-Christian friends, right? If we are going to make disciples, we have to have relationships with those who are not Christian. But we must put up boundaries between us and them, and we must not participate in certain activities. Now, I cannot cover every activity that, that you should not participate in as a Christian when it comes to your non-Christian friends, but, but I'll give you a simple question just to ask yourself. If Jesus were here, would he participate in this activity? If Jesus were here, would he be hanging out right side alongside of me, high-fiving, saying, yeah, man, this is awesome. Would he participate in that activity with you? If Jesus is not going to participate in it, you shouldn't participate in that activity. Again, that doesn't mean that, that we should not have non-Christian friends, right? Jesus, he ate and drank with sinners. The Pharisees were all tore up about this. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have non-Christian friends. We've got to have non-Christian friends. We must have non-Christian friends so that we can influence them in the right way. And that's really the key. Who is influencing who? Who's speaking into whose life? You see, we must be the ones who are speaking into our non-Christian friend's life instead of them speaking into our life. 
We, we don't go to our non-Christian friend and ask them how we should act and how we should think. Right? We must have other brothers and sisters in Christ who we can go to for advice, who will, who will give us good advice by pointing us to God's Word. Not advice that is influenced by the culture, but godly advice. We have to have accountability partners. We have to have people that we can lean on, people that we can turn to. And this is why it's so important for us as a church to be in community with one another, to, to be in a Sunday school class, to be in a small group, to participate in Bible study with one another. And then to allow those relationships, not just to go to, to the Sunday school level, because we all know sometimes how that can be, right? You come to church, you sit here, you go back to Sunday school, you get teaching, which is good and right. You, you, you answer a few questions, you, you have a few head nods to people, maybe shake a hand or two, and then you walk out the door and you don't see that person until next week. It's not true relationship, right? That, that's you're in a class with somebody. We got to have true community where we can call people up and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with in my life. Can you help me with that? And they're not going to pass judgment on you. They're not going to say, man, I can't believe you're participating in it. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, no, it's okay. I understand. You're being honest with me. Let me come alongside of you. Let me help you determine how you're to think about that. How are you to act in this particular situation? We, we need that. We all need that. And so we must develop true community. And that community like that can't be with those who are our non-Christian friends. We've got to have them. We've got to be an influence to them. We can't allow them to influence us or we're going to end up losing our saltiness as their immorality leeches out into us. Christians that have lost their saltiness, and this is why it's so important, are good for nothing. Just like salt in, in Jesus' day that has lost its saltiness was good for nothing. Salt, was so uh, salt that had lost its saltiness was so invaluable that it wasn't even thrown on the manure pile because eventually the manure pile was thrown out into the fields to fertilize the crops and the salt would mess up the fields. The only thing that salt that had lost its saltiness was good for was to be thrown on the footpaths and trampled under feet. That's it to be stepped on, to be, to be walked on. That is, that is it. But if we allow society to influence us, if we become like the world, we're just like salt that has lost its saltiness. We're not good for anything. We're not, we're not, we provide no advantage to Jesus and His kingdom. Instead of keeping society from deteriorating, instead of pushing back the darkness and the corruption we're participating in, and that is no way for a follower of Christ to live, we must contribute, not deteriorate society. We, we must help make society better by, by infusing Christ into those pockets and, and being a witness for Christ in different areas of life and calling people to live according to the kingdom ethic instead of allowing people to do that to us. You see, we've been freed from the corrupting influence of the world and to live as those who have been corrupted is not our nature as believers. It allows Satan to use those that he has absolutely no claim over. It is like scoring a goal or a touchdown for the other team. As Christians, we are to be salty and we are to remain salty. And Christians that are salty, they are they're the light of the world. Jesus' disciples are to be the light of 
the world. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if your kids are like my kids or your grandkids are like my grandkids, they, or, or no, your grandkids are like my future grandkids, not my grandkids now. Um, that would be physically impossible. But, but they probably get scared of the dark, right? And, and those stuffed toys that are celebrated, those, those other things that are spread around their room that they play with all of the time in the dark, those things can become like scary monsters. And, and you flip on the light and it's like, oh no, that's just, that's just my favorite my favorite stuffy over there. That's just the, the Lego set that I built over there. You turn off that light, whew, they're scared. And so what do you do? Well, you get a nightlight, and you give them a flashlight so that they can illumine the darkness. And as Christians, we're to be the same. We are to be the light of the world. We are to shine as lights in this dark world. We are to illumine the darkness and attract others to Christ. And so how do we do that? How do we illumine the darkness we don't just turn on like a light bulb and start shining right so how do we how do we illumine the darkness well through the way that we live as salty christians we're to live different than the world and as we do we act as lights pointing people to a different way of living pointing people to the good news of jesus we couldn't live the way that we live if we if jesus hadn't changed us our values our thoughts our actions would it be what they are without the gospel? The gospel changes us from the inside out, as we talked about a few minutes ago. It is, it is what allows us to illumine the darkness and show people a better way of living, a way that aligns with the Creator, a way that provides us with meaning and ultimate purpose in life. And being a light is our purpose in life. We aren't meant to reflect the world. We are not meant to live like others around us. We are meant to be different. We are meant to draw others out of the darkness into the light. It is what we are to do. Look at the text again, second half of verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, as people see our good works, as people see us living as salty people, as people see us as living different than the culture, we shine as lights to the world. And we attract other people to Christ and they end up glorifying the Father. And this gets to the very purpose of our life. Our purpose in life is not to be rich and famous and comfortable and all of that stuff. Our purpose in life is to glorify the Father. That is what we are tasked with. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us to glorify God? Well, glory means that, that we make something heavy. That we make something weighty. That, that, we, that we give honor and, and worth to that thing. And we are to show others that, that God is worthy of honor, that, that God has worth, that He is worth more than the world could ever offer. And how do, we, how do we glorify God? Well, we glorify God by the way that we live and act. Through our saltiness, we are saying that God is worthy to be followed, that His ways are better than our ways, that His wisdom is greater than our wisdom, that His guidance and direction is what is best for our life. And so when we live according to the kingdom principles that are found in God's Word, we are glorifying God. We are making Him weighty in our life and weighty in this world and heavy and, and worthy of honor. 
We also glorify God when we take joy in who He is. God's glory is meant for our joy. You see, it is, it is a lie of Satan that to follow God's will and to follow God's purpose and to live according to God's Word is going to make you unhappy. That is a lie because Satan does not want us to follow the Lord. But instead, when we follow the Lord, when we, when we glorify Him, we experience joy. God is praised and honored when we actually take joy in His glory. God's glory, who He is. You, you, you can think of His characteristics and actions, right? His, his love, His mercy, His grace, His justice, etc., etc. When we mirror His attributes in our family, in our community, well, we give God glory. And when we live according to God's design, we end up experiencing joy. We, when we take joy in God's glory, we glorify God. God's law, His Word, His way of life is not meant to restrict us. Instead, it is meant to provide us with the most joy. Our joy in God's glory, His design, who He is, is meant to cause us to rejoice and to praise God. That's why when, when we sing songs here, right, we try to focus on those songs that are magnifying God, that are magnifying His attributes. So that, so that when we read those words on the screen, when we sing them, we are praising and glorifying God for who He is. And as we do that, we should sense joy. Amen. We should experience joy in our lives as we praise God with our words and with our actions. And as we see us living according to God's design and rejoice in those things, it brings some glory as we shine as lights to the world. And we draw people out of the darkness into God's marvelous plan for the life in this world. But when we live in accordance with the world, we have lost our saltiness. And what ends up happening is we're hiding our light underneath the basket. But we don't bring God glory. We don't bring others to experience the joy that we have in Jesus either. As believers, then, we cannot allow the world to influence us, as well as believers shouldn't allow the world to intimidate us into hiding our witness, into, into putting that witness underneath the basket, into, into, into coming down from that hill that we are supposed to be on and just placing that light inside of our house. You see, you, you hear this often, right? It's okay for you to be a believer. I'm, I'm fine with you believing in Jesus. Just don't bring that out into the public sphere. Don't bring that into your workplace. Don't bring that out into the community. Your faith should be private, the world tells us. But that's not what Jesus says. We are to be a city set on a hill. We are to be a light to the world, drawing others to Jesus as we reflect His kingdom ethic, as we reflect the gospel to the world around us. We cannot allow the world then to intimidate us into hiding our light, into hiding our witness. That's not what we are called to do. We can't be a Christian in private and live according to society's rules in public. You often hear politicians say that. Well, I don't agree with abortion in my private life, but in the public sphere, well, that's a different story. That doesn't add up. That cannot be so. And we can't say that 
either. That we disagree with this over here in our private life because this is where our faith is at. But then over here in public, we're celebrating all kind of things that the culture is celebrating. We cannot do that as believers. We must shine as a light to the world. We've got to be the salt of the world. We cannot allow the world to influence us in that way. If we're going to be salt and light, we can't allow the world to corrupt us. We can't allow the world to intimidate us so that we hide our witness. We must live counterculture, culturally. We are to shine as lights to the world. We are to be the city set on a hill for all people to see. If you call yourselves a Christian, you are to live as salt and you are to live as light. And so are you salty? Or have you been corrupted by the culture? Are you shining as a light for Jesus? Or are you allowing the world to intimidate you into hiding your witness for Christ? We're to be salt and light, attracting others to Christ, shining forth the hope of the gospel in the dark world in which we live, and the world in which we live is a very dark place. And so let's be a community then. Let's be a people that lives as salt and that lives as light, that provides an alternative way to the way in which the world operates. And if you're a believer here today, that, that's how you can respond. You can respond today by purposing to be salt and light. By saying that, that you are going to be countercultural, that, that, that you are going to live different, that our church is going to be different than the world. That we're not going to allow the world to influence the way that we operate, but that we are going to be an influence on the world. That we're going to be on mission for Christ every single place that we go. As we live as people who are salty. As we live as the light of the world. That's how you can respond today if you're a church member, if you are a believer here today. And if you're not a believer, if you're just if you're tuning in, if you're here, you're just checking Christianity out, and you're saying, man, I, I wonder what, what that is all about. Well, you could be a salt and light person as well. Turning to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior by believing that Jesus is the one who has taken the sacrifice on your behalf, that He has paid your debt. Turning from your sin, the way of living according to the world, and saying, no, I'm going to live according to God's will and God's wisdom which we can only do through Christ, by believing that Jesus is indeed our Savior, by believing that He alone repairs our relationship with the Father, that there's no amount of works that, that will repair that relationship, that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves, but that Jesus has done that for us. He's paid the debt that we can never pay. And resting in that, resting in Christ alone, you can be a salt and light person as well, and bring glory to God. Experience meaning and purpose in your life. If you have questions about that, you want to talk further, I'd be happy to gather together with you, get coffee or lunch, and talk more about what it means to be a believer in Christ, to be a salt and light person, whether that means you're, you're a believer here today and you're wondering, well, how can I get things going again? Or whether you're a non-believer and you want to know what it looks like to be a believer, you still have some questions. Be happy to gather together with you. And today, if the Lord is working on your heart and you're saying, man, I believe in Jesus, we're going to sing here in a moment during our time of response. If you want to publicly profess your faith, I'll be 
down here at the front. We would love to celebrate the work that the Lord is doing in your life, drawing you to Himself, bringing you to Jesus. If you need prayer, I'll be here as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will respond. God, we thank You for this day, for this opportunity to gather, to, to open Your Word, to be challenged by it, Lord. To see that we are to live as salt and light. Help us to do that. Help us to be salt and light people, God, that lives counterculture, that doesn't allow the world to influence us, but that we can have an influence on those around us for you and for your glory. And God, if there's someone here today watching or, or in the building today, Lord, that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you work in their heart, that you draw them to yourself, that, that they would see that the world doesn't provide us with hope, it doesn't provide us with purpose. It doesn't provide us with meaning. It doesn't provide us with salvation, but that you do. And that they would turn to you and believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name.